What's going on, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. This is episode 234. I'm your host, Garrett Hayden. As always, you can listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and on Spotify. And you can uh, follow along on Twitter and Facebook for the latest updates on the podcast. And uh, you can also read some of my written content at Musket Fire, if you'd like, or an article uh, last week about three important positions that the Patriots need to upgrade this offseason. So you can go give that a read if you'd like. Should have an article coming out this week or next. So, you know, keep your eyes peeled for that. Uh, great to be back this week. want to say thanks to uh, all the folks that submitted uh, questions for the mailbag last week. It was uh, a good batch of questions that we got. Uh, so really appreciated that. So we're going to get started today. There's plenty of stuff to get to. Uh, also made a note of this last week that we have kind of a bit of a programming uh, change on the podcast this week. Guest Friday will be out uh, tomorrow instead of Friday as it will be a uh, March Madness preview. Uh, Matt Plew is returning to the podcast, our college basketball guy. So uh, looking forward to talking with Matt so you guys can uh, listen to that Tuesday in advance of the NCAA tournament. Play-in games start tomorrow night, um, and then the big, the real games start on Thursday. So uh, looking forward to that preview, which will be out for you guys tomorrow. So I think we're going to get into it. We are going to touch on the NCAA tournament, but we're going to go, uh, you know, how we usually how we usually do this. You know, starting with the uh, the local teams. Uh, so we're going to start with the Bruins. Good amount of Bruins today. Some Patriot stuff too. Uh, Celtics, Red Sox, Revolution. So we're going to get right into it. So the Bruins, unfortunately, uh, falling to the Red Wings yesterday afternoon, five to three. The second of an afternoon back to back. Bruins uh, won on Saturday, of course, and losing to the Wings yesterday. 5-3, to three, falling behind 4 to nothing in the second period. Bruins come back to make it 4-3. Andrew Kopp, uh, empty net goal, wins it for the Red Wings. So, you know, clearly not the best Bruin, not the best effort yesterday by the Bruins. You know, it just seemed like, again, the start was not what it needed to be. And unfortunately, you've kind of noticed a trend over the last three games that the Bruins have had, you know, some issues uh, starting games on time, you know, maybe not as much the Edmonton game, Edmonton game as the Bruins jumped out to a 2 nothing lead in that game. But, you know, really, it's kind of been fits and starts uh, for this team over the last three games that it's not, you know, exactly consistently where it needs to be. Bruins obviously were able to bounce back and win on Saturday after falling behind uh, 2 nothing in the first period. But I think this team needs to have better starts, you know, and I think that it's, it's funny, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday that I think we've been so lucky seeing this team win almost every game they play, even games that they don't play well. And so it's like, it's so strange to see them. Yeah, I know this is going to sound weird, but it's strange seeing them lose a game that they don't play well because they almost always win when they don't play well. You know, it's just kind of a wild thing that's happened this year, which is not normal. You know, when you don't play well, you're not supposed to win. That's kind of the whole point, you know. 
but I think the starts need to be better for this team. You know, I think that especially going into the playoffs, you need to be starting on time. You know, you need to be able to find your game as quickly as you can, you know, because you're not always going to be able to come back from deficits. You know, I think Bruins were lucky enough to come back on Saturday, but then yesterday, I mean, 4 nothing is almost insurmountable. And yes, the Bruins almost came back, but you can't be spotting teams 4 nothing leads in the playoffs. It just, you can't, it can't have that happen. And I think there can be periods where you don't play well, but I think you can't be consistently behind where you have to be making up ground. And I think, yes, Detroit's not a team that you're going to see in the playoffs, so it's not exactly the worst thing, but I do think that it's important for them to, yes, I understand that you don't want them coming from behind, but I also think that it's important that they have games like that where they don't score first and have to kind of reevaluate things because that's going to happen in the playoffs. The Bruins are going to fall behind in games, and I think they need to be you know, comfortable playing any different type of game. For the most part, we've seen them be very comfortable with any type of game this season, that they've been able to win almost any type of game. But I think consistently you have to be coming out and being the aggressor. And they understand it's not going to happen every single game. It's unreasonable to expect that. But I think it's not unreasonable to expect that you start the game and you're ready to go right away. You know, I think playoff games, you need to be ready to go every game, you know, because one game, one shift can change an entire series. So I think it's just a team that needs to regain its focus early in games and, you know, kind of be the team that is going to set the tone, you know, and not letting another team set the tone. And I think that unfortunately, you know, the Bruins kind of let Detroit do that the last two games. You know, yes, they were lucky enough to come back in the third period um, on Saturday, but it's not always going to be like that. And, you know, clearly that's what happened yesterday. The Bruins really taking advantage of um, with how careless they were with the puck. Um, you know, Detroit getting a couple special teams goals and the Bruins just really not seeming to pay attention um, for the most part of that game. You know, yes, the Bruins were able to come back and have a great chance to tie the game you know, with the, with the shifts in the third period. But I think that it needs to be kind of a learning experience that, okay, you can't be starting the way that they started um, and can't be letting the game get out of hand the way that it did because you're not always going to be able to come back. Um, and I think in the playoffs, the teams that you're going to be playing are going to be much better and you're not going to be able to, you know, rely on your team to be able to come back the way that they did yesterday. Um, but I think, you know, it just starts with starting on time, doing the right things, you know, being focused. And I think you've kind of missed that in parts of the last three games. Bruins, obviously, you know, blowing the two-goal lead Thursday night against Edmonton, which, you know, is probably one of their worst games of the season. You know, I know that that's crazy to say that we're saying that in March, but you know, I thought that for the most part they played well and then, you know, they let Edmonton get back into the game. And I think Edmonton did a good job of slowing the Bruins down in the neutral zone. And I think that that's 
one of the areas that concern me in the playoffs that, you know, if the Bruins run into a team that can slow them down in the neutral zone and kind of clog up the neutral zone, the Bruins aren't going to be able to play with the pace that they want to. Um, and they're going to have to be playing more, you know, five on five in the zone. And I'm not saying that they're not good at that, but I think when the Bruins are at their best, they're playing with speed through the neutral zone. And, you know, Edmonton kind of shut them down there. And I think at times Detroit did this weekend too. So, you know, clearly that's going to be an emphasis against the Bruins um, going into the playoffs, that, that that's how you slow the team down. Um, and so I think the Bruins are going to need to be, you know, aware of that and have a way to break through that and be able to, you know, get chances in the zone and not necessarily off the rush if they're going to have a hard time entering the zone against certain teams. Um, but I think, you know, as much as they've not played well over the last three games, I think it might be good for them, you know, to face a little bit, I don't want to say adversity because that's not the right term, but I think, you know, facing some kind of turbulence because I think that that's what the playoffs are going to be, that it's going to be a lot of, you know, the playoffs force you to be uncomfortable and oftentimes force you to do things that you don't want to do or force you to do things that you're not good at. And I think it's one of those things that the Bruins are going to need to have that mindset that the playoffs are different and every shift matters. And I don't think that that's lost on this locker room because you have Bergeron, you have Marchand, you have Krejci, you have guys who have been through all these postseason battles, have been to three Stanley Cups, you know, have won one. They know what it's like to play in these types of games, and I don't think that the Bruins have a lot of players that are necessarily, you know, new to the playoffs. I mean, they might have a couple, you know, Bertuzzi, Zaka, I think, although I'm not positive on him, um, but I think... It's just making everyone feel comfortable when they get to those games that, you know, the mistakes are going to, are going to, you know, be more amplified. And so how do you play so that you're making fewer mistakes? It's not possible to be playing any sport, you know, without making any mistakes. But, you know, how can you limit the mistakes that you make? And I think that's one of the things to watch in the playoffs. And I think that, you know, this is a team that, doesn't have a lot of issue finding the rhythm, but I think, you know, this will be an interesting kind of little road trip for this team. Not necessarily all these games are against playoff opponents. You know, they're in Chicago tomorrow night. They're a bad team. You know, Bruins will play, or actually maybe I shouldn't say that. Winnipeg, I think, is a playoff team. Minnesota is as well. You know, Buffalo's kind of on the edge. You know, we'll take a look at the the schedule in a little bit, but I think it's just, you know, fine-tuning your game. Um, I did think it was interesting during the game yesterday, Bruins kind of jumbled up the lines a little bit. Bruins tried Tyler Bertuzzi on the first line, which I think made a lot of sense because he's someone that played, you know, first-line minutes in Detroit, and, you know, I was thinking about this yesterday that, you know, yes, you want to keep DeBrusque on the first line as much as you can, but I think it sometimes might be a good thing for him to find his game on a different line, which is what he did. You know, Bruins move him to the third line. Yesterday, he gets a goal. He was buzzing around the zone. And I think, 
it kind of gives you a thought that, okay, Bruins could potentially try him on the third line at certain points. And I think the Bruins have the ability to do that because Bertuzzi can play on the first line. It's not like, you know, you're playing Craig Smith on the first line, you know, and you don't feel like that's really adding much to the first line, you know. And I did like that the Bruins have tried Bertuzzi on the second line too. You know, they're trying him all over the lineup, which I think it's kind of a... It's kind of a luxury for this team that you're trying to, you know, figure out where the pieces best fit. Um, and I think that with, you know, clinching a playoff berth and, you know, being the first team to 50 wins, whatever, you know, it gives you that kind of cushion that, okay, there are some things we can play around with in the lineup and kind of see what's going to work best. Um, I did really like the Bruins' fourth line this weekend of uh, Nosek, Hathaway, and Greer, you know, they were outstanding um, on Saturday. They probably won them the game on Saturday with the way that they played. Um, they played really excellent hockey yesterday as well. So I think that's good to see in terms of chemistry that you have a group of three that's really starting to play well. Um, and then I think the other pieces in the lineup, it's kind of a question of what's going to happen when if and when Felino and Hall, and, and Hall come back into the lineup, you know, what are the Bruins' thoughts there? You know, I think that, unfortunately, you could see someone like Trent Frederick bumped out of the lineup if both of those guys come back healthy. But, you know, kind of just a wait-and-see thing with both of those guys. You know, I know that there was a report in the Globe last week that Taylor Hall might be available to practice today. I'm not sure if that's, you know, founded or not. You know, obviously, we'll see. You know, we're recording this at, you know, 10 in the morning, so it could be happening uh, soon as we're recording. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens with that. But, you know, just a, a tough loss for the Bruins yesterday. But, you know, I think it's it's difficult playing a second of the back-to-back on the road against the same team, you know, a team that, you know, you came back against on Saturday. And I think it's a team that was looking to kind of get a little bit of revenge on the scoreboard. And so, you know, it's a it's a difficult task to beat the same team twice in 24 hours. Um, but I think, you know, it's no reason to panic necessarily. You know, we've had it so good as Bruins fans this year that, you know, even losing games doesn't even feel that bad, to be perfectly honest. And I know it felt bad, you know, falling behind 4 nothing, but... Bruins were never out of that game, so it'll be interesting to see kind of what happens moving forward. You know, Hampus Lindholm out of the lineup yesterday had a foot issue, but I guess he's going to play tomorrow, so maybe not too much of an issue, but I do think, again, with the Bruins having clinched a playoff berth with, was it 18, 17, 18 games to go, you can rotate guys in and out. You know, you can sit guys out if they have a couple bumps and bruises. You know, that's the luxury that you have. And so I think, you know, certainly the Bruins probably wanted to see, you know, another game of rotating the D around. You know, certain guys have sat out here and there. So, you know, I thought that it could have been part of that yesterday. But, you know, Lindholm did also, you know, I think, block a shot on Saturday off his foot. So... You know, Bruins giving him a day off, but I think, you know, I wouldn't be surprised 
if we see more and more of this in the next couple of weeks, guys just sitting out um, just because they think you want to keep them as fresh as you can. You don't need guys. You don't need, like, especially the older guys, you don't necessarily need them playing a second of a back-to-back, but I think that, you know, the Bruins are still in play to get that number one seed throughout the playoffs, which obviously they still need to play for. So, you know, I would think once that's settled, then the Bruins can start, you know, resting guys here and there. You know, it's not saying that, oh, the Bruins are going to rest their entire lineup for 10 games in a row. You know, I just think that there could be a game here and there that, oh, it's a second of a back-to-back. Bergeron doesn't play. Oh, it's a second of a back-to-back. You know, Krejci doesn't play. They probably hold out some of the guys in the last two or three games of the season. Um, but I do think that, yeah, you could see Bergeron and or Krejci and or Marchand, you know, being out of the lineup um, for games within the next few weeks. But I think it's just the the way the Bruins have been able to roll through the schedule that they're in this position with 18 games to go, you know, that they can afford to rest certain guys um, and not have to feel, you know, that they have to clinch a playoff spot, that they can play around at certain things in the lineup. You know, I think it is going to be curious to see when we get to the playoffs, what are those lines going to look like? How is that going to look with the potential return of Hall and Felino with the forwards? You know, what's the decision with the defenseman? Because the Bruins, you know, have seven healthy guys that have been playing in the last couple of weeks, you know, since the Orlov trade. So, you know, who sits? You know, is it is it a consistent thing? Is it, you know, an opponent thing? You know, it's going to be interesting to see, you know, how they, how they deal with that. You know, I think that if they end up playing a, you know, quicker, fast-paced, you know, offensive team, you know, Mac Grizzlick probably stays in the lineup and Derek Forbert probably sits. You know, if it's the other way around and they play a, you know, heavier team, like let's say the Islanders, you probably don't see Grizzlick much in that series. You know, and if you do, you see him for two or three games. So, you know, well, that's assuming it goes seven. I would hope that that doesn't go seven. But I think, you know, it could be matchup dependent, team dependent. Um, but I think they're in a great spot with seven you know, healthy guys, and worst case scenario, if you have an injury, you have Zaboral and Mike Riley, who have both played in the NHL for you this season, so feeling pretty good about the Bruins' depth, you know, goaltending-wise, I think it's going to be interesting to see if Swayman gets more starts down the stretch, it certainly seems that way as he started two of the last three, um, but I do think that you want to keep Linus Olmark as fresh as you can, you know, so Swayman might play more over the last over the next couple of weeks. You know, it's not like they're going to shut down Olmark completely, but I think you could see some more frequency um, of Jeremy starting, which I think, to his defense, some of the games he struggled this year. But I also think that the clip that he's playing this year is not as consistent as he did last year, and so it's kind of I don't know. For me, it's hard to get on him when he has a bad game here or there because, you know, the frequency of starts is not as high as it was last season. You know, that Swayman kind of, you know, took the net in the second half of the season um, at some point, or maybe that was, maybe that was in the playoffs. Um, But I do think that, you know, it'll be important for him to get some more starts. I mean, Linus has been unbelievable. He's really given you no reason 
to give him less starts, but I do think that because it's the most starts that he's made in his career, you know, you're going to be relying on him to play four rounds in the playoffs. You want to keep him as fresh as you possibly can. So um, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I do think, I feel like there was one other Bruins thing that I wanted to mention. Um, oh, yeah, that's right, seventh player award. Um, that is coming up. Don't know when that's going to be revealed, uh, but I would think that'll be in the next couple of weeks. Seventh player award is the uh, player, I think it's a Nesson award, that they give to the player that has gone, gone above and beyond expectations. And I was thinking about this yesterday because uh, they actually had, an, had a commercial for it on Nesson. Um, you know, I was thinking about some of the guys that I think have impressed me this year, I think from an expectation standpoint. You know, I think Trent Frederick's probably the first player that comes to mind with the year that he's had, you know, uh, career highs, you know, in points, goals, and assists, 13 goals, 11 assists, 24 points in 62 games, you know, by far the most points he's had in this season. I think that he's probably, for me, is top of the list. I think Connor Clifton might be right there with them as well with the year that he's having five goals, 12 assists, 17 points, which I believe are career highs for him, you know, and the amount of minutes that he's played um, and the role that he's played and really held on to this season. I've really been impressed with him. So I think those are probably the two leaders. Brandon Carlo, I think, might be another one for me as well, um, just because I think statistically maybe he's not overperforming his expectations, but I just think with, I think some of the questions that people had about him, you know, going into the off season last year that, okay, is he really going to be a top four shutdown guy? And he's really played that way the entire season. So I think he would also be someone that I would probably consider. Pavel Zaka probably could be as well with the career year that he's having, I think is, you know, gone above and beyond the expectations as, he has 45 points this year, which is well above um, his career high total. So, you know, outside chance that he could give you 60 points this year, you know, which would make you feel good about him going forward with this team. Um, and I also think Linus Olmark should get some consideration as well. You know, I think that the year that he's having has absolutely gone above and beyond his expectations. You know, we always knew that he was a solid goalie, but I mean, he's been the best goalie in the league this year, which I don't think a lot of people thought was going to be possible. So he would also be someone that I think could get some consideration. But me personally, I think I would go Frederick um, to the player that wins that award. But who knows? You know, we'll see. I think that that usually is awarded at the last couple of home games of the season, which is probably just a couple weeks away. So it'll be interesting there. So looking at the Bruins, schedule. They are in the midst of a five-game road trip. They will go to Chicago on Tuesday night, tomorrow night, 8.30. Thursday night, they're in Winnipeg at 8 o'clock, and then Saturday and Sunday, they have a road back-to-back -back against the Minnesota Wild and the Buffalo Sabres. The Minnesota game is at 2 o'clock on Saturday, and Buffalo is 1 o'clock on Sunday. Then the Bruins are home for five of the next six some interesting uh, division matchups with Ottawa and Tampa Bay coming up. So that will kind of probably do it for the Bruins. We'll get into the Patriots now. There's some big 
uh, news that's come out over the last couple of days with free agency uh, officially starting on Wednesday. The legal tampering period starts today, so you could see some players uh, report, you could see free agent signings being reported today, potentially, um, as you are allowed to tamper now and teams are allowed to negotiate with players. So you could see some deals signed today. Um, and then Wednesday, obviously, is the official date. So before we get to the free agency stuff, Devin McCourty did announce his retirement from the NHL or from the NHL from the NFL last week. Yeah, Devin McCourty's playing for the Patriots. They're playing for the Bruins now. <laughs> but uh, Devin announcing his retirement, you know, three-time Super Bowl champion, two-time Pro Bowl, um, just one of the stalwarts of leadership with this Patriots team. And I think um, we as Patriot fans, I think, owe a lot to him that he's kind of always been that, that rock in the defensive, um, in kind of the the secondary role, you know, been around and has been a very, very good player really ever since he came to the team in 2010. Um, you know, I think clearly had some, you know, I don't want to say had some issues, but I think clearly, you know, you could see had kind of slowed down over the last couple of years. But, you know, was always a great communicator on the field and I think just a great guy to have in that locker room and, you know, be part of that leadership group that I think is still in a state of transition since Tom Brady left. And I think, you know, he's done a good job of kind of bridging the gap from you know, your, your old, your old heads, you know, your Brady's, your high towers, now your McCourty's and, you know, now you're kind of shifting more towards some of the younger guys to step into leadership roles. So, um, I just want to say Devin tremendous career and thank you for, for everything, you know, it just always seemed like he was a player that was always in the right place at the right time. You know, not always the flashiest, most athletic best player on the field, but always came up with the right place at the right time. And I think that we're pretty spoiled as Patriot fans. The amount of guys that we've seen come through here haven't always been the flashiest players, but always get the job done. So I think a lot of us owe a lot to Devin with um, his accomplishments and what he's done for this organization, both on and off the field. You know, I think just one of the best, you know, upstanding guys in the league. And I think really, you know, made you feel good about feel being a Patriots fan. Um, you know, all the tremendous work that he did, uh, both on, on the field and off. So just wanted to say a little piece about um, Devin as he announces his retirement. Clearly the Patriots will be looking at someone for that free safety position um, that Devin played for so long. So it'll be interesting to see if the Patriots think about that position. You know, Jesse Bates uh, from the Bengals could be a decent replacement. Jordan Poyer is also another name from the Bills. So, you know, those are both definite names that the Patriots could look at in terms of free agency. Um, so I think, you know, as I said in that article last week, you know, I think offensive line is probably the most important position for me. And I think that there are op opportunities that they can, you know, bring guys in in free agency. You know, Mike McGlinchey from the 49ers, I think would be a perfect fit um, at that right tackle position. You know, left tackle, Orlando Brown is an option. I'm going to take a look at some of the other 
uh, offensive tackle free agents. Um, it seems, yeah, it was Brown that was the player that his player option, or excuse me, he was not franchise tagged. I think there was thought that he could have been franchise tagged. So he's someone who's a left tackle that is a free agent. Kelvin Beecham is another name kind of on the older side from Arizona, but could be someone the Patriots circle back to if they miss out on some of these guys. Taylor Lewan was also released by the Titans a few weeks ago. He's a little bit on the older side. Patriots could bring someone like him in. Um, Orlando Brown, I think that was probably the number one left tackle there. Donovan Smith, also the left tackle from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, could also be a fit for the Patriots as well. Then right tackle, you know, that's McGlinchey. Uh, Jawan Taylor is a name that I've heard floated around. Uh, Jermaine Illuminor, former Patriot, you know, could be brought back into the fold. Uh, but I think, you know, McGlinchey is someone that probably is going to be the, I don't want to say a crown jewel, but kind of the number one guy that a lot of teams are going to be looking at. You know, Jawan Taylor could be a spot that the Patriots, or could be a player the Patriots bring in as he's, you know, 25 on that younger side. So, I think that's probably the most important position for me, at least. Um, the Patriots did address um, a bit of a, or did address linebacker. They brought back uh, Raekwon McMillan last week. So I think it's a good depth signing. You know, he played a bit on special teams, came up with some big plays on defense. So I think that that's the right move. Um, James Ferentz, I think, also might be coming back, although I don't know if that's confirmed yet, but definitely some interior offensive line depth, and that's always good. So um, I think that'll be interesting to see offensive line. I think I'm most interested to see what they do there. You know, cornerback, clearly with Jonathan Jones being a free agent, you know, I think he might be one of the better defensive backs that are available. So it could be that he has a decent market. Um, and so the Patriots could be a team that possibly gets outbid you know some other guys that are free agents I actually highlighted a couple of guys um, in the article that i wrote last week cameron sutton and jamel dean that's who it was so jamel dean obviously from the buccaneers last year and then cameron sutton played for the steelers last year both guys that i think could help that kind of that boundary corner spot where the patriots I think at times last year were victimized not having someone that was a great kind of one-on-one -on -one guy. You know, they put Jonathan Jones in that spot a couple times. I thought he held his own, but I think the Patriots do need a little bit more depth there. So I think that they do bring back Jonathan Jones, and they probably see if they could sign someone else. Uh, James Bradbury is a name that I think the Patriots could feasibly bring in. Although I think they probably are going to look at someone who's maybe not as um, not as pricey, um, you know, but it's, I don't know, it's hard to know, I think, with the free agent, um, free agent class for cornerbacks is not great, and so it's like the guys who are free agents may take on more of a salary than they would in most years. Uh, Byron Murphy from Arizona, kind of like what I've seen from him, you know, he could be another name, um, but there are a lot of guys, you know, and I think the Patriots are going to have op options 
And I don't think it matters whether or not they bring back Jonathan Jones. I don't think it's like, oh, if they bring back Jonathan Jones, they can't sign someone else. I think they certainly can. Um, and I think just looking at some other spots in free agency, you know, wide receiver is a spot that I think people would like to see an upgrade, although I don't really know if it's going to be in free agency. I think you would hope the Patriots can bring back uh, Jacoby Myers. You know, I think that his... I think that, honestly, like, the reports that you've seen, you know, that he's looking for somewhere in the 12 to $15 million range, I don't think that's that pricey for a guy like him who's 26 and is a very good, very consistent receiver, as we've seen the years that he's been here. So I don't think it'd be unreasonable for the Patriots to bring him back. I mean, obviously... It's hard to know for sure, but I think, you know, in my opinion, I think he's the best receiver in this free agent class. You know, some of the other guys, Juju Smith-Schuster, Alan Lazard, you know, Adam Thielen just got released last week. You know, I think there are some guys that could help, but I think the easiest thing to do for the Patriots is just bring back Myers. Figure out what else you can do. Can you make a trade for someone? I think that's what I would look at, you know, see what asking price you could see what the asking price is for deandre hopkins and go from there you know does jerry judy become available who knows you know i think that that's what you kind of would want to look in rather than signing someone else you know i know that people got excited about adam thielen but you know i'm not saying that he's not a good receiver he definitely is had a pretty solid year last year but if it's if it's a decision between signing jacoby myers at 26 or Adam Thielen at 32 when they both are, you know, had pretty similar statistics last year. I think logically, logically you want to bring back someone younger. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see. But I don't think wide receiver in free agency in particular is necessarily a spot that's going to be the absolute best. Um, you know, safety certainly, as I mentioned, with McCourty's retirement, you know, defensive line. I think the Patriots are pretty good at defensive line. You know, linebacker, they may look at someone. You know, I think, I don't know if in free agency, but in the offseason, they're certainly going to look at a punter uh, with the team releasing Jake Bailey. It's kind of too bad that he did not have the season the Patriots wanted last year. You know, also got hurt. So, you know, I'm not really sure the details of what happened there. You know, he got suspended at the end of the season. So I'm not sure, but clearly the Patriots are going to need to you know, bring someone in, you know, via the draft, which is what I would think. I don't think they'd be signing someone. Um, so I think that that's kind of it for all the Patriot stuff. You know, free agency starting on Wednesday. You know, running back is also another spot that I'm very curious about because, you know, Damian Harris is a free agent. Patriots do have some younger guys um, on the roster with Kevin Harris and Pierre Strong. Um, do the Patriots think that they can sign, you know, a third down back? Do they feel comfortable in Ty Montgomery going back into that role from last year? You know, do they draft someone? I think that's probably another spot on the offense that I'm curious about. You know, tight end, I don't think they're going to be doing anything major. You know, Hunter Henry, I think, is going to stay. You know, Johnny Smith, the Patriots may decide that it's not working out. They may choose to release him, um, but I don't think so. And I don't think they're going to be drafting one in the first round. I think that that's kind of a, a waste of time, to be perfectly honest, because I don't think tight end, I think, could 
if they do cut Johnu Smith, tight end could be a need. But I don't think it's a bigger need than offensive tackle, uh, which I think is the biggest need for this team going into the draft. Now, who knows? The Patriots could address that spot in free agency and not feel like they need a draft to tackle in the first round. But, you know, as it stands, I think offensive tackle is what I would draft in the first round, not tight end, which I think there are larger, there are bigger needs on this roster than tight end. So obviously free agency, we'll see. Uh, but yeah, again, Wednesday is uh, the start date. Uh, legal tampering starts today, so you could see some reports of uh, contracts being agreed to. So I think we're going to move on. I'm going to move to the Celtics. Uh, we have bounced back a little bit over the last couple of games. Have won uh, their last two games. They had lost to the Cavaliers in Cleveland in overtime. Uh, last Monday, you know, obviously that was a tough loss with Grant Williams uh, missing both free throws with a chance to win the game at the end of regulation. Uh, Celtics come up short with uh, Jason Tatum and some other key guys not playing in that game. Uh, and so, you know, another another second half lead goes away. So, you know, again, it's getting back to what they are good at offensively, which I think is what you've seen over the last two games, you know, Saturday night in Atlanta in particular. Uh, Jason Tatum was great. You know, that's the type of game that you need him to be playing almost every night. Uh, 34 points, 15 rebounds was efficient in this game. Um, and I think the Celtics came up with a lot of big plays down the stretch against an Atlanta team that sometimes makes it difficult. You know, I know that that's not necessarily the cream of the crop in the Eastern Conference, but that's a team that is scrappy and can get to you. You know, Trey Young's a guy that can get hot at, at any time in a game. So I think it was good that the Celtics could withstand some, you know, extracurricular stuff. You know, obviously Marcus Smart getting ejected late in that game. So, you know, good on the Celtics to kind of stay calm and be able to come up with enough big plays on defense um, to get the job done. Al Horford did a huge block late in that game. So I think pretty pleased with the Celtics' performance in that first game of the road trip. The road trip continues tonight um, in Houston. Celtics and Rockets tonight at 8 o'clock. And then the Celtics have games against Minnesota, Portland, and Utah the rest of the week. So going through the, the heart of the Western Conference, um, and believe it or not, you know, the Celtics are really coming toward the end of the season with only uh, 14 games left on the schedule. And believe it, eight, yes, eight of them are away from the Garden. Uh, six are at home. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what you see from this team. You know, I think that you continue to find the best rotation for this team. You know, I'm kind of... I guess I'm confused on the whole Grant Williams thing that he's, you know, not been playing games here and there. You know, he's coming off the bench some games, but then some games he has, you know, DNPs, and I kind of am not sure what the thing is there. Um, you know, I don't know if it's matchup-based. You know, I don't think that there's anything else going on that we don't know about, but... 
it is just it just was interesting to see Blake Griffin get a lot of minutes on Saturday and you know Grant Williams Muscala don't really play you know Sam Hauser I thought the minutes that he played he was excellent you know he knocked down four or five threes which is exactly what you need from him um, on a, on kind of a night to night basis that you need him to knock down three or four three pointers um, Al Horford obviously has been playing excellent you know it's hard to believe that he's 36 37 you know Rob Williams I think still out with um, his hamstring strain I don't know if he's available to play tonight could be tonight could be Wednesday in Minnesota Peyton Pritchard um, has been out of the lineup the last two games with a heel injury um, you know Brogdon off the bench has been excellent you know I think Derek White has been as consistent as he can be um, that I think that you know, and someone asked me this on the mailbag last week about Rob's health and, you know, can the Celtics win a championship without him? And no, I don't think that they can. So I think, you know, the Celtics need him back in the lineup and need to integrate him as soon as they can. So it's not like you're going into the playoffs and he's dealing with another injury like last season. So, you know, I just am so curious about Grant Williams because I think you know, he's a very solid defender. And I think, I, kind of when he wants to, he can be a big-time player that can impact winning. And I think that, yes, he can knock down threes. Yes, he's a good defender. You know, there are some times this season where it seems like he's trying to do too much on offense and he kind of needs to just get back to being the, you know, a guy whose game is very simple and not saying that in a negative way, but I think it's just when he, his game is simplified to being a good solid one-on-one defender, being someone that can knock down corner threes can give you some energy. I think those are kind of the simple things that you want from him. You don't want him going off the dribble. You don't want him trying to do too much offensively. I mean, I think that there are times where the Celtics will let him, make a play and he's good at it but I think there are certain times where it just seems like he's in the way uh, in terms of what they're trying to do so I don't know you know if this continues I would hope it doesn't because the Celtics are going to need him to play well to win a championship you know it's going to take all these rotation players for them to win a championship it's not just going to be Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, although ultimately it may come down to the two of them, but you need all your guys to perform. And I think, again, and I've probably said this a million times, I understand the thought of tightening your rotation and playing only eight or nine guys in the playoffs. So you kind of have that known, but I just think that you want to use all the tools at your disposal you want to use all the resources that you have and i'm not saying that you need to go 12 deep in every single playoff game but i think there are going to be moments where guys get into foul trouble guys aren't playing well that you're going to need to call someone off the bench and i just think if i don't know you know if you're going to be calling grant williams off the bench and he's cold and hasn't played in a couple games you know how is that going to affect his game so i think joe missoula for the most part this season has done a good job of rotating guys in and out. But, you know, I understand that, yes, they want to tighten the rotation and Sam Hauser playing more minutes 
you know, is probably good offensively because he can knock down shots. Um, but I just, I guess I would like to see more guys into the lineup. And I understand that, you know, Peyton Pritchard's one of those guys that's kind of caught on the outside with the Celtics being three deep pretty much at the point guard position in terms of, you know, ball handling with its smart Brogdon, Derek White, and then Jason Tatum kind of is added into that as well at certain points. And so, you know, you hope Peyton can carve out a little bit of a role, but it's just hard with all the guys that he's behind at the moment. And yes, you know, Smart's been battling through some stuff lately in terms of injuries. You know, Brogdon has missed some games here and there. So, you know, you just want to hope that your guys stay stay ready um, and stay healthy. So one of the things I am curious about is the Eastern Conference standings with the Celtics being just a game and a half back of the Milwaukee Bucks. But the Bucks are having some are having a West Coast trip at the moment. They play Sacramento tonight and then Phoenix tomorrow. So could be some opportunities for the Celtics to move up. I don't think that that number one seed is lost. Uh, the Sixers are breathing hard down the Celtics back with wins in five straight. They're just a game and a half back of the Celtics. But I don't think that the number one seed is out of the question. And I do think that there's a very good chance that that March 30th game in Milwaukee could have a pretty good indication of who's going to get that number one seed. So you hope the Celtics can continue to move the ball and play with pace offensively. Um, I'm kind of not going to lie. I'm slightly concerned about this game tonight. You know, Houston is a team that's very young. They're very bad, but I think the Celtics can't be getting complacent. You know, I think they need to continue to move the ball, play with pace offensively and play with the energy that's required on defense. So, you know, kind of look forward to that. Um, the trip this week has some, you know, interesting games with Houston tonight, Minnesota, you know, Utah, Portland, all those teams are battling for play in position. So all these teams are going to be playing hard and playing really scrappy because they're pretty much playing for their lives. And I think the Celtics need to understand that, need to match that energy and pick up some of these wins because, you know, you never know if some of these wins are going to be crucial. You know that maybe the Bucks lose a couple games and you have an opportunity to get the number one, number one seat back. You know, I really think that you want to be able to match the focus and energy that other teams are going to be playing with because they do not have the luxury that the Celtics have you know, being pretty much locked into a playoff spot. You know, all these teams are battling for their playoff lives. So be interesting to see how the Celtics do this week. Um, obviously, tonight in Houston, Wednesday in Minnesota, Friday in Portland, Saturday in Utah. So back-to-back coming up at the end of the, end of the week for the Celtics. So hopefully Rob Williams can be back at some point by the weekend. The Celtics close out their trip against Sacramento next Tuesday. So I think we're going to move on, do a little uh, Red Sox. Believe it or not, the Red Sox have finally lost some spring training games. (laughs) They've lost uh, three of their last four, but, you know, like I've said multiple times throughout their, you know, hot start, it really doesn't mean anything. You know, I think spring training, again, is kind of just an individual thing that you pay attention to how guys are doing, and 
The early returns on Chris Sale in particular are great. You know, he pitched three innings, gave up a hit the other night or the other the other day. So really good positive signs from him. I was a little confused that Alex Cora had said that he doesn't expect Sale to be the opening day starter, which kind of was confusing to me. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't think it matters. Um, but I think Chris has been pretty consistent, pretty good, and pretty, you know, exactly what you want from him in spring training. You know, someone that I think you can be confident in that he can make his starts, you know, not have these freak injuries happen. Um, and so I think, you know, he's been pretty solid. I think Corey Kluber has been pretty solid. The other rotation guys have been kind of hit or miss in some of these games. You know, Nick Pavetta, Tanner Houck, Cutter Crawford, you know, kind of just been okay. But I think that, you know, it's hard to tell because these guys are only pitching two to three innings. And so it's like you can't really tell if they're, you know, ready or where they need to be. And it's like, well, there is a couple weeks left of spring training. It's not like they're needing to go out and be ready to play a regular season game in a couple days. Um, but I think it's hard to judge if guys are pitching two to three innings and they're not pitching, you know, typically five or six innings that they would in a regular season game. So, you know, I think that for the hitters, most of the guys, it's been good early returns. Um, I know that Adam Duvall had kind of struggled a little bit recently or struggled a little bit up until recently. I think he homered yesterday. Um, and has had hits in like two or three of the last games. So that's a good, um, that's something to feel good about. I think uh, Justin Turner sounds like he should be okay for opening day after taking a pitch to the face last week. So that's good. You know, it's really a, really was a scary moment for him last Monday when he took a pitch to the face against the Tigers, I think. But it sounds like he will be ready for opening day. Curious to see where he winds up probably will be the designated hitter, you know, Cassis at first base. Um, and then I think, you know, I was talking about Raimel Tapia uh, last week, you know, that he could be absolutely be someone that could be your extra outfielder coming into the season. I think he's played well uh, lately. Um, so I think most likely the outfield is going to be some combination of, you know, Duvall, uh, Yoshida, and Alex Verdugo, and so I think that, yes, you know, Tapia could be that extra guy that plays center field every so often, um, and so I think that's probably what your outfield is going to look like, and then the infield will be, you know, Casas at first, Arroyo, Kike Hernandez, and then Rafael Devers, you know, and then the catching probably will be uh, some combination of Alfaro, Connor Wong, and Reese McGuire, and then first base, DH is kind of your, your Cassis and your Turner. And there could be some guys that, you know, play DH every once in a while. Um, and I think, you know, bullpen, I think, should shape up to be pretty solid. Uh, Jansen, I think, pitched an inning the other day um, and I think had some good jump on his pitches. So really looking forward to what he can do um, with this bullpen, which I think this bullpen is going to be a lot better than it was last year. But I think Honestly, with this team, it comes down to the rotation. Can Chris Sale, Corey Kluber, James Paxton, Whitlock, Bayo, can they stay healthy? Can they stay consistent? Can they pitch deep into games? Because I think if they can and this team can score enough runs, I think they're going to be pretty good. I think they're going to surprise some people. Um, now I'm curious about the power 
where's the power going to come from? You know, Turner and Duvall really going to be able to tap into their, you know, old selves and hit, you know, close to 30 home runs. You know, I think this team is still going to be able to score enough runs, but I wouldn't be surprised. And I know this is like serious speculation and in the future, but I would be curious if the Red Sox are, you know, somewhat in contention by the time the deadline comes around. And then do they make, you know, a major move for a bat? I have kind of a unfortunate feeling that they're going to say, oh, well, Story's going to come back. That's going to be our, you know, trade deadline acquisition. And it's like, I kind of hope that that doesn't happen. I kind of hope they can acquire someone else. But then again, that's getting ahead of myself. That's assuming that they're in contention by that point. You would hope that they're still in contention. You'd hope they're not out of it. Um, but I think there have been some positive um, feelings with Story, you know, that he could be back by the All-Star break, you know, with his. It was interesting because I think Bryce Harper had a similar procedure um, in November, I think, after the World Series. And I think he's been taking, or he's at spring training with the Phillies, and has been taking, you know, swings and batting practice and things like that. So, you know, it could be a positive sign that Story could be back sooner than we think. You know, it'll be interesting to see if he's, you know, back by the All-Star break, or is he going to return after the All-Star break? It'll be interesting to see. But I think he could absolutely give this team a lift um, if they're in solid position by that point. Um, so looking at the rest of the week, Red Sox are in uh, are in Florida. I almost said in Toronto. They're playing Toronto today um, in Florida. They're in Detroit Tuesday, or... I shouldn't say in Detroit, but they're playing spring training games against uh, Toronto, Detroit, Tampa Bay, Atlanta, Baltimore, Tampa Bay, and Philadelphia. That is all this week. And then, yeah, before you know it, it's getting close to um, getting close to opening day. Um, you know, other than I think the reports from World World Baseball Classic with certain guys, you know. Not really too much other Red Sox to report on, but I thought it was interesting that it seemed like, or I think I read in the paper that uh, Whitlock and Brian Bayo are expected to be throwing to batters this week that Whitlock could possibly get into a game, which I think makes you feel pretty good that could he maybe be available opening day? You know, Bayo, kind of hard to know, but I think it's just good, a good sign that they are you know, going to now be able to get into kind of the swing of things. Um, because the Red Sox are going to need all the help they can get from those two guys in particular, um, because they think the top of the rotation is probably set with Sale and Kluber and Nick Pavetta, and then the other two spots are, you know, Whitlock, Paxton, Tanner Houck, Cutter Crawford, Bayo. You know, the Red Sox will be, you know, having to make decisions um, on some of those guys when they get closer to uh, spring training. So I think that's going to do it for the Red Sox. We're going to get into a little bit of revolution. Not a whole lot to talk about from last night's game in Los Angeles. Revs fall 4 nothing to the uh, defending MLS Cup champs last night. Uh, really an ugly game for the Revs. Um, the Revolution are very lucky that uh, George Petrovich was at his best last night. He made some unbelievable saves 
and he's probably the reason this game was not seven to nothing. Um, just the Revs just really were on their heels the entire game. Uh, really couldn't get much in the attacking third. You know, I thought that was interesting to see Gustavo Bo play in the middle uh, last night as opposed to kind of up top. The Revs went with um, Dylan Barrero and Bobby Wood. You know, defensively, I think they're pretty set in what they're going to be. I mean, unfortunately, at LAFC, run rough shot over the defense last night, you know, with four goals. Um, but I do think that, you know, games like that are going to happen. It's a tough road environment. LAFC, obviously, the defending champs. And, you know, the Revs, I think, are still in that spot of kind of being, you don't know, the type of team that they're going to be. Um, but I think... You know, yeah, again, just one of those kind of throwaway games that it just was all bad. It was all ugly. I think you burn the tape of that game um, and you kind of move on for the next game. Revs are hosting Nashville SC on Saturday, 7.30. So see how the Revs do when they return to uh, Gillette. They won their season opener at Gillette uh, last weekend, 2-1 over or excuse me, no, sorry, I read the score wrong, 3-0 uh, over over Houston. So be interesting to see how they bounce back. Um, as I said, you know, Petrovic was the sole reason this game was not, uh, you know, out of, well, it was out of reach, but it wasn't a out of hand, you know, crazy score. Um, so I think, you know, you just hope that you get off to a better start. You know, Revs conceded a bunch of second-half goals, um, in that game last night, so you hope that they, you know, can can get better. Um, but again, LAFC on the road, defending defending cup champs. You know, it's still early in the season. Revs are still figuring out the type of team that they are. They're still rotating guys, you know, in and out of the lineup. So you hope that they can get a better result against Nashville next uh, next week. Nashville's a pretty solid team. They're a pretty good team last year made the playoffs. They uh, have seven points, 2-1-0 in their first three games, tied for the lead in the Eastern Conference with Atlanta and FC Cincinnati. So I think that's probably going to do it for the Revs. You know, wish I had more to talk about, but you know, losing a game like that, there's not a whole lot to break down. Um, so I think we're going to move into league notes from around sports think we're going to start with the NFL because there's been some things that have happened lately. The uh, Rams trading Jalen Ramsey to the Dolphins for a third round pick and a player. Um, you know, interesting move for the Dolphins. I personally think that Jalen's uh, best days are behind him, but you know, we'll see. But I think clearly it's, I don't want to say it's a desperate move by the Dolphins, but I think they're trying very hard to you know, get back to the playoffs and have a formidable defense. You know, I'm not wild about his contract and the way that he played last year, but who knows? You know, it could be a change of scenery type of deal for him, um, but a big trade for the Dolphins, a big swing there. Um, a couple of players have re-signed with their current teams, uh, Matt Milano and the Bills, Sterling Shepard and the Giants, uh, to Sean Gibson and the 49ers, Quincy Williams and the Jets, and then Deron Payne and the Commanders. So clearly with legal tampering starting, 
Um, I think at, at noon today, you'll probably start to see some guys agree to contracts. You know, Aaron Rodgers, obviously the big news that maybe he's close to making a decision. I mean, I don't know. I think he's kind of a drama queen at this point. And, you know, whatever decision he makes is going to be the decision he makes. Does he want to be traded to the Jets? Does he want to stay in Green Bay? Does he want to retire? I mean, <laughs> I don't not even sure uh, what we're going to see. Um, so, very interesting that I mentioned Johnny Smith because we have a breaking news alert. Uh, the Patriots are trading uh, Johnny Smith to the Atlanta Falcons. Uh, report from Ian Rappaport. There's not a report on the return yet, but okay, there you go. So, it certainly could open up a space for the Patriots to draft a tight end. I still don't think it's the right thing to do in the first round in particular, but who knows? Um, but I think interesting that the Patriots trying to create some cap space clearly with that trade. So we'll see if the return comes in. Um, actually, might check on this quickly. Um, but yeah, you know, Aaron Rodgers, be interesting to see what his decision is. You know, not really sure where else he could go, you know. Could it be the Jets? Could it be, you know, something crazy? Could he go back to the Ford? Could he go, you know, back home, play for the 49ers? You know, who the heck knows? Um, don't think I've been able to find a return yet. Um, but yeah, we'll figure that out when it comes. And you guys may have to look for it yourself. Uh, but I think we're going to keep moving with the podcast. Um going to get to some uh, Major League Baseball notes. I think I might check in on the World Baseball Classic. I think, yeah, that's exactly what we're going to do. Um, there have been some teams that have clinched spots already in the uh, quarterfinals in Pool A, Cuba and Italy, getting through to the quarterfinals based on run differential. Both of those teams, two and two. Actually, the entire pool was two and two. Uh, so Cuba and Italy advance. And then Pool B, Japan and Australia are advancing. Um, then Pool C, I think the games, yeah, there's still more games in Pool C and Pool D as there have only been one or two games played in those pools. Um, so Team USA currently one and one, lost to Mexico last night. They beat Great Britain. On Saturday, so Team USA is one and one, and I believe that they play. Yes, they play tonight against Canada, ten o'clock start there. So, just giving you guys a little bit of an update there. The leaders in Pool D are Venezuela; they're two and zero. Oh. Canada and Colombia atop Pool C, both are one and zero. Oh. So I think we're going to move on to talking a little. NHL taking a look at some of the notes, the Flyers uh, firing their uh, GM, Chuck Fletcher. Uh, interim GM is Daniel Briere, so be interesting offseason for the Flyers. Uh, the Washington Capitals re-signed Trevor Van Riemsdyk to a new three-year deal. Uh, Kirill Kaprizov, a lower body injury for the Wild, is going to be out for a couple weeks, so Bruins will uh, touch a bullet when they see the uh, wild on Saturday. And then the Bruins, of course, setting um, NHL history with uh, their 50th win, fastest team 
to 50 wins on Saturday, and then obviously first team to clinch a playoff berth. So some of the games tonight on the NHL schedule on NHL Network at 7.30, Colorado and Montreal, then also at 7.30 of Buffalo and Toronto, and then 10 o'clock Dallas and Seattle. Played a pretty entertaining game the other night, went to overtime, and Dallas won. So we're going to take a quick look at the standings. Bruins obviously atop the entire league, atop, atop the uh, Atlantic with 105 points. Toronto is second with 88, and then Tampa Bay third with 84. In the Metropolitan Division, Carolina with the uh, slight division lead as they have fewer games played, but they are even in points with the Devils with 94, and then the Rangers in third with 84. And then in the wildcard spots, you have Pittsburgh with 78 points, followed by the Islanders with 76, and Florida right behind the Islanders, three points behind. So as it stands right now, the Bruins would be looking at a first-round matchup with the Islanders. So it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Um, in the Western Conference, Dallas top the Central with 85 points, then Minnesota in second with 84, and then Winnipeg third with 79 points in the Pacific. Vegas is atop the conference with 88 points. Kings are in second with 85. Kraken in third with 81. All the teams in the Pacific. And then the wildcard spots, the Oilers and the Avalanche with Nashville and Calgary five points behind uh, the final playoff spot. So I think we're going to move to the NBA. I see what type of notes we got going on here. Um, obviously, Celtics uh, in Houston tonight to play the, play the Rockets. Just give this a sec. <laughs> Some of the other games tonight, Indiana and Detroit at 7, Minnesota and Atlanta, Utah and Miami, Memphis and Dallas on ESPN. All those games are at 7.30. And then Phoenix and Golden State at 10 o'clock on ESPN. And then Milwaukee, Sacramento tonight at 10. Celtics, obviously, at 8. Kevin Durant uh, is going to miss two to three weeks with the Suns with an ankle injury that he hurt in a pregame warm-up, which was honestly kind of scary to watch, to be perfectly honest. Um, so, I don't know, just can't catch a break with him. Um, so, hopefully, he's back before the playoffs. Uh, the Knicks beat the Lakers last night as the Lakers missed a chance to go um, or to hit 500. We'll take a look at the standings really quick. Um, and then I want to get back to seeing if there's any report on the return for the Patriots and the Johnny Smith trade. So in East, the Bucks in first place, Celtics a game and a half back, as we mentioned. And then the Sixers are in third, three games back of first, game and a half back of the Celtics. Cavaliers are in fourth, followed by the Nets and the Knicks in fifth and sixth. And then in the play-in spots, Get the Heat, the Hawks, the Raptors, and the Bulls, seven to ten, and then the Pacers and the Wizards, just a half game back of that final play-in spot. In the Western Conference, Denver, with a five-game lead over both the Kings and the Grizzlies, both of those teams even in second place. Kings have the uh, tiebreaker. Grizzlies in third, then the Suns in fourth, Clippers in fifth, Warriors in sixth, and then Minnesota, Dallas. 
Utah and Oklahoma City 7-10 to in the play-in spots with the Lakers and the Pelicans, um, even in games with the Thunder, or even with the Thunder in terms of record, but the Thunder having tiebreakers over both of those teams. Um, then Portland is two games back of the final play-in spot. So I'm jump back to... Uh, Trying to quickly find the uh, turn here. I don't believe I can really find anything here. But the Patriots creating some cap space. It's not. Uh, I think it's not. It's not necessarily all of his cap hit. I think they created about. Um, Created about four point four million dollars um, in cap space and take a uh, thir their twelve point eight million dollar cap hit, uh, according to over the cap. So you know, I think just reaction to that, it's too bad. I kind of wish that Johnny Smith could have worked out, but I think it just the Patriots had a hard time integrating him um, into the offense in the two years that he was here. So. Yeah, you know, you kind of just take a loss on it, and, you know, it's, you know, I feel like I say this all the time, that free agent contracts don't always work out. You know, you have plans for someone when you sign them, and, you know, things just don't work out, and I think it's just as simple as that. And, yeah, people are going to tell you all day on the radio today that the Patriots suck at signing free agents, and, you know, the Patriots failed, or whatever, but it's just like, Sometimes players just don't work out and the system, whatever it is, you know, health in some cases, um, just never really seemed to come together for, you know, the Patriots and Johnny Smith. So, you know, you can have your own opinions on him as a player, but, you know, yeah, I'm sure that, you know, if people kind of already have their thoughts about Johnny and being a, a bad player, whatever people want to say, but it just didn't work out. You know, I think that he was from that offseason where the Patriots were spending a lot of money. And, you know, I think for the most part, most of those guys worked out. You know, you think about the guys that they signed, Devon Godshaw, Jalen Mills, uh, Hunter Henry, Matthew Judon. You know, there are four guys right there that worked out. You know, Johnny Smith obviously has not, did not work out, you know, being traded to the Falcons. You know, we'll see what the return is. But, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. So... Uh, Patriots do create a little bit of cap space, and it is going to be curious now, you know, the tight end position, and, you know, do they address that in the draft? I don't really think there's any great options um, in free agency, but clearly, you know, the Patriots putting a lot of faith in Hunter Henry that he can, you know, recapture the player that he was two years ago. So we will see. So I think to close out the program, we're going to take a look at a little March Madness, take a look at the... Uh, men's and women's brackets that both got revealed last night. Obviously, I don't want to spend too much time on the men's bracket because I'll be uh, doing that with uh, Matt Blue for Guest Friday later this week, uh, which will be out tomorrow. So I think it makes sense to take a look at the women's bracket first. Uh, ESPN will load for me here. It might take a minute. Um, you know, I think uh, 
who knows, could be could be slowing down with uh, all the uh, potential news about NFL free agency. I mean, who knows? Johnny Smith probably broke the system. <laughs> um, so I think we'll take. There we go. All right. Now we're good. Yeah, Johnny Smith broke the system. Uh, <laughs> um, so yeah, women's brackets. So the number one overall seed, South Carolina. The other number one seeds, Indiana, Virginia Tech, and Stanford. And then the two seeds. Um, in Okay, so there are two regions. Are two Greenville regions, two Seattle regions. So in the first Seattle region, Virginia Tech is the one seed, and Yukon is the second seed in the second Seattle bracket. Stanford is the number one seed. Iowa is the second seed. And then in the first Greenville region, obviously South Carolina, the number one overall seed, and then Maryland, the second seed. These games start on... Friday and Saturday. And then in the second Greenville region, you have Indiana, the one seed, and then Utah is the second seed. So women's bracket final four is in Dallas. And yeah, we'll take a look at the men's bracket really quickly. Um, the number one seeds announced yesterday during the bracket reveal. The number one overall seed, Alabama, and then the other number one seeds were Houston, Kansas, and Purdue. So obviously, you know, you know what? I don't think I want to spend too much time on the the bracket. Just kind of give you guys the number one seeds. Uh, tournament starts with the first four. On, or I'm sorry, there there's a first four for the women. Completely, completely skipped that. Uh, I'm trying to find where those games are. Here you go, first four. Um, so there are two games on Wednesday night. You have 11 seed Illinois, 11 seed Mississippi State, and then 16th ranked Southern, 16th ranked, 16th ranked Sacred Heart, and then on Thursday, 16th ranked Tennessee Tech, 16th ranked Monmouth, and then 11th ranked Purdue, 11th ranked St. John's. So each of these first four games will go into each of the four uh, regions. So, yeah, we'll move back to the men's bracket, take a look at the first four. Um, on Tuesday night, tomorrow night, the uh, 16th-ranked Texas A&M Corpus Christi against 16th-ranked Southeast Missouri State. That is in the south region. So the winner of that game will play Alabama. And then later that night, you have 11th-ranked Mississippi State and 11th-ranked Pitt. And the winner will play Iowa State. And then in the West region, 11th-ranked Arizona State, 11th-ranked Nevada. And the winner will play TCU. And then 16th-ranked Texas Southern, 16th-ranked Fairleigh Dickinson. Winner will play Purdue. So that's all we got. We'll uh, obviously take a closer look at the bracket and some matchups uh, later this week with Matt Blue. So I guess Friday is going to be out tomorrow, you guys. Um, so no guess Friday, this Friday. Be back with you folks 
the following Friday the 24th. Um, obviously, we'll be back with the regular pod uh, next week on the 20th. Um, so again, um, great Pete and Pack with you folks uh, today. Uh, have a great rest of your week and enjoy the madness.